what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me, as always, Chris Fry. We are both with the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how you doing, man? I am doing good. Um, looking forward to talking about the film we got on the slate today. Yes, and that film that Chris is referring to is the film American Fiction. Uh, it is one that came out, you know, well, it was uh, got some limited release a while back. It's been, it's still playing in theaters. I think it is still kind of having a slow release out over the last month or so, but obviously it uh, has gotten a lot of buzz for a lot of Oscar nominations. So Chris and I are going to dig into this film here in a moment and we'll be the ones to decide were the nominations justified or not. I, I think we have that power, right, Chris? I mean, sure. that is kind of what we do here on the show. <laughs> we are the arbiter of truth when it comes to these nominations. So we're going to, we're going to give our opinion on American fiction here in just a moment. But after that, we're also going to dig into a little bit of movie news. I've got a couple of uh, production, movie production updates and news to share. And Chris has a recommendation of a film, a uh, timely film that we uh, he wants to recommend that we uh, think it might be a worth a watch here. Uh, if you're looking for something to to watch in the coming days, he will have that recommendation for you towards the end of the show. But Chris, you ready to get right into our review of the film American Fiction? Yes, let's do it. All right, here we go. Monk, your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they publish. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. <laughs> I'd be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's black, right? I see what you're doing. From the opening scene confrontation in a college classroom, Jeffrey Wright's professor, Thelonious Monk Ellison, establishes himself as someone that bristles at the characterizations of blacks in today's culture whether it be in music or novels or film. This film, the feature directorial debut by Cord Jefferson, who also co-wrote the screenplay, ranked as one of my top five films of 2023. As you mentioned, Alan, it has garnered Oscar nominations for Best Actor, Supporting Actor, Adapted Screenplay, Score, and Picture. So after seeing the film, do you feel like the accolades are warranted, or did your viewing suffer from the terrible plague of overhyped expectations? You know, I completely forgot that you named this as one of your top five favorite films of the year. Yes. And, and, and if I had recalled that, I might not have recommended that we review the film because it's like, okay, well, I obviously know how Chris feels about this already. <laughs> and normally our reviews are nice when we both come to the table and we are kind of able to share our opinion and neither one of us knows the opinion, other's opinion coming into it. So obviously I forgot that. That was me. That was my bad. I spaced out. So obviously <laughs> I know how you feel about this film. Yeah. I know you are a fan of this film. I, I am. And I've actually, this is a rare instance where normally we're reviewing films and typically I've seen it once. Um, I actually was able to watch this film twice. I saw it once. Unlike you, um, I saw it when I knew nothing about it. And I was kind of confused. I was like, why haven't I heard of this film? It's Jeffrey Wright. It seems, you know, very timely. And then after I watched it, I'm like, yeah, this thing's great. <laughs> and then like, you know, now with all the Oscar nominations, and everything, I, yeah, I'm curious because it's the type of thing where I liked it. I watched it again last night. I liked it just as much the second time, but I'm wondering, do I benefit from not knowing anything about it? Cause I, well, I knew, I knew I hadn't seen a trailer. I knew yeah. nothing about it. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say it, it, it suffered from overhype from me because okay. I, I I did like this film. 
Um, I hear some hesitation. Well, there is some hesitation because okay. ultimately I was disappointed and uh-huh. it wasn't from overhype. It was more from a, an opportunity, I think in this film to really do something with such a great premise and such a great setup that I've never felt like it was able to grab a hold of and deliver on. So ultimately I walked away disappointed because I thought they really had an opportunity here in my mind for them to tell a really interesting story around a really interesting subject. And I feel like it was, I feel like it was danced around. I feel like it was, it was, well, uh, and I'm going to do this without getting too deep into the plot of the film, because I mean, I do think that, you know, uh, you and I have talked, I mean, sometimes not knowing every detail about a film going in can actually help your, your, your satisfaction with it. Although I would imagine people listening to this either have already seen the film or, I don't know. Do people listen to our reviews like if they're thinking about wanting to decide if they go to the film? Because if that's the case, then I don't want to talk through all a lot of plot details because that, I think, ruins the experience. But if people are listening because they have seen the film and they want to hear our thought on it, then, yeah, I'll, I'll I, ditch on everything. I think the it. answer to your question is yes. But we have both types of both types of listeners. So we I, have one listener who <laughs> listens because they want to find out what movie to go see. We have the uh, our other listener is the one who's already seen all these movies and wants to hear us talk about them. I, that is at least, <laughs> I, I know I, I have been told, um, I've get, gotten emails about somebody who's like, why don't you guys go ahead and spoil everything? I'm trying to decide if I want to see this film. I don't care. I want to know whether I should okay. see it. And then I have somebody else who's like, nope, I've already seen, you know, I only listen if I've seen the film. Like, yeah. And I actually asked the person who normally i they were about to watch American fiction. And then I was like, Hey, do you have anything you want us to bring up in our review? Like, Oh, I'm not watching it till this weekend. I was like, Oh, well <laughs> then you better hold off on listening to the podcast. So I, I, th- I think we can do enough without like maybe right. getting into spoilers. So here, so, so you kind of, you did a little setup on the film, but I mean, this is the, the plot line of this film is, you know, it, you, you have this novelist played um, by Jeffrey Wright, mm-hmm. uh, Thelonious Monk Ellison. And he's frustrated with his position as a writer because, you know, he sees books that are profiting off of, I mean, quote, black entertainment, you know, and right. this idea of writing to an audience that uh, is very portraying the black experience in a very, what he feels a very stereotypical way to where it's just to appease people that want uh, some basic entertainment or to feel like they're experiencing the black experience when really it's, he feels like it's very pandering, kind of that that writing style and uh, that t- that form of entertainment. So he himself then develops a a, a pen name and, and writes a book as a kind of a crack, as a joke, just to see what he could stir up and and, and make us think about. That actually he's kind trying of to prove a point. Prove a point that right. you know people he could write what he considers to be crap. You know, just come pandering uh, a version of a typical Black American story. And people eat it up, and sure enough, they do. And that's where kind of the film goes from there. Right. I love that concept. I love the theme. I love the messaging behind it. I love everything it's trying to do with that. But we also have a film that I think spends maybe an extraordinary amount of time on relationships, personal relationships that, that, that uh, Monk has with his siblings, with mother, with... Um, um, rec- recollections of uh, issues with his father, uh, a budding romance relationship, all of that, which I didn't think a lot of that worked. Oh and, man, totally disagree. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think that worked. And again, I, I feel like I feel like I'm echoing a little bit what I said with Origin last week, which is where I think there's the one part, half of the film that I love so much, and then there's the other half that I didn't see the connect. I didn't see the rationale for it. Um, even to the point I'll give an ex- as an example, and again, this this isn't spoiling. It's first thirty minutes, I guess. There is a subplot or a a, a, a portion involving his sister yeah. in the film. Sure, that I still can't tell you why that was there, and what that means for the film, what that means for the story, what that means for what what this this what this was about. And I felt like that's a, that was symbol symbolic of a what of a lot was going on in the rest of the film. So. I enjoy the film. I, I do, I mean, but I love the parts where it really knew 
it knew the satire it was going for. It knew the 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 messaging it was trying to make, and I love the way that the main character was dealing with that situation. I didn't love all the other plot lines it was trying to bring in, and and again, I'm kind of left at the end of the day, is like not really understanding what all that had to do with one another. So that's where I am with it. Um, I did walk away a bit disappointed because I love it when I see a film that has a great a great premise and a great tone and a great message to share and, and an entertaining way of doing it. And I just felt like it kind of dropped it a bit and dropped the ball a bit. And I'm, it always leaves me a little disappointed with the potential of what a film could have done. So that's where I am with that. But Chris, I, w- I definitely want to hear your thoughts. And I know you mentioned some of these in your year end. Um, I might not have paid as much attention then as I need to. <laughs> so go, please go ahead. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this film and, and uh, tell me, tell me how I'm wrong on this. Well, it's, it's, <sighs> From the way I saw the film, one film would have been kind of like you mentioned with Origin, that was two films. I can see you can, you know, kind of boil things down with this film and say, okay, it's basically doing two films. It's showing some family dynamics. And then on the other side, it's doing this satire of how black entertainment is set up and consumed. But okay, so you have those two films. But I think what makes this film a great film, not just a good film is the fact that they mesh those two. And in this film, it worked from, for me, unlike origin, which wasn't as successful. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is the very satire that they're setting up is how, if they only do the satire that actually gives you the very easy, swallowable, digestible, Oh, isn't this clever and keeps you entertained. That's not what the film's about. I mean, it is, but it is about more than that. And actually the way they show that is they show this family that is atypical, everything they're setting up with the black entertainment. It's got a very successful college professor who's also a writer. It has his brother who is a very successful plastic surgeon, but there's some drama there. There are all these flipping of stereotypes. So the way they challenge the stereotypes but they're not hitting you over the head with it. And I think if the family film had just been done that way, it probably wouldn't have been as successful because I mean, I also thought the film was really funny. There's a lot of really, you know, funny one liners and like commentary and satire. And if you just done that, it would have been funny, but I think pairing it with the family stuff and showing that. And I mean, without the family stuff, I wouldn't have gotten enough of Sterling K Brown um, who plays the brother of Monk's character. And I thought he was, Amazing. Um, he is the person that is nominated for best supporting actor for mm-hmm. this film. Um, I can hear some concerns about people not thinking they don't go far enough with the satire. They kind of take the lazy way out. Totally disagree with that. Um, there's a conversation that's had between somebody else who's really good in the film. Issa Rae plays Centara. What's her name? Do, 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 do. I'm trying to think of the character's name. Centara Golden, which mm-hmm. is funny that she's given the last name Golden. She is a writer that Monk sees do a reading from her book and kind of becomes a target for him as somebody who is, mm-hmm. let's say, sold out or whatever. And she is black, but she is writing these type of novels that he bristles at. Okay. And so he, you know, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy there. And you, she's a target. And you see him getting frustrated and doing things. You know. Okay. But there's a point towards the end of the film where they have, they actually have a one-on-one conversation Mm -hmm. and loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Thought it was really good. And what I also appreciate about the film is it doesn't give you any easy answers. That's not what the film's interested in because I'll say after watching the film, my wife and I were talking about it and she, um, there was a book that I was starting to read that was written by a black author and she's like, yeah, what kind of, and it, it was about, a, it was kind of a crime novel. And she's like, huh, does that, do you have a different thought process of reading that book because of watching American fiction and how it criticizes? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, interesting. I wonder what the author would think about this. But, you know, so that's, if it would have given me a more pat, easy answer, it would have been a lesser film. And I like the fact that she says something about what she's writing from and he, they, it's it's a great, great conversation. The end result is, well, that's interesting. And you just have to dwell on it and think about it. No easy answers. So yeah, I clearly, as I mentioned the kind of in the opening that, yeah, one of my top five favorite films and I, I really, really liked it. So, okay. 
Um, yeah, and, and like, you know, you called out that conversation. Yes, I completely agree. I think that conversation with the two of them, that is what I wanted out of this film. That is that kind of discussion and dialogue. And I felt, I just felt like the rest of the film danced around it. And before it would get anywhere interesting with it, it would divert and we'd go back to the family uh, drama, which I felt at times was a little melodramatic which I thought was kind of ironic because it's like the whole point of the film is talking about how we're not making it. We don't need to be making entertainment that just panders to this lowest common denominator of people just to easy. I think that's a comment made by somebody is like, you know, people just want something easy. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's, I get that's, that's the messaging is, you know, good, good art, good entertainment shouldn't be easy. That, that shouldn't be the way that the standard that people, the, the common people used for it. But I felt like parts of the film actually fell into its own trap of making this family drama elements very easy and very simple. And and that's what just kind of disconnected me from the film. So I felt like I felt like the film kind of lost a little bit of its vision with that. It had the right things to say. And in those scenes, like the dialogue with Issa Rae's character you brought up, which I thought was great. Some of the... Um, some of the elements where, you know, we're, we're, we're playing with this whole conceit of... Uh, the, him having a pen name and having to kind of like put on an act and, you know, a, I mean, you can almost say it's a little sitcom-y in the way that it's, it's done. I thought it worked great. I thought it was really funny. And I liked that as well because it was able to take some great humor to add to a really kind of important message. But again, when I think it, when it just, I just feel like it lost sight at times and it occasionally it'd pull you back in with a scene or with a moment or with a line of dialogue and then it just kind of lost a little bit of that and got wrapped up in the rest of the drama around it. And again, I felt like some of that was a little melodramatic. So uh, again, I think it's great entertainment. I mean, I, I mean, on a five star rating, I'm, yeah, it's like a three star. I think it's good. I think it's a fun wow. watch, but I, 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 I think it missed the boat in a lot of areas. So hmm. that's just, that's, that's my take on it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. And it, I obviously had a different experience and I think to me too, watching it, like what I appreciated so much was the satire of the literary world, then the satire of the film world, satire of our culture in general. And it made me look at the way sometimes I fall in the trap of those that the film is poking fun, fun at, as well as the trap of thinking sometimes that I'm above it like monk. And so it's like, you know, it makes you, it, it's humbling. You know, the film mm-hmm. is entertaining but it's also humbling in a way that it it made me think about how I perceive myself, how others may perceive myself, yeah. how I perceive others. Like there was just a lot more there than just, you know, and a, a simple satire that if all it was doing was just being a comedy, yeah, I'd probably be on board with that. Family drama to me isn't as interesting, I guess, because there are a lot out there. So I may have passed by this film if I hadn't known that it was supposed to be funny, you know, mm-hmm. cause there are, there were funny elements. So that was the hook that got me in, but the, the drama side of things made it, you know, pretty, pretty satisfactory. I will say without spoiling anything, you alluded to, uh, you know, it is family drama. There's a sister and something that happens to her, like you're saying in the first 30 minutes kind of, um, has echoes and waves from the, the rest of the film. And, I can see it. it's basically it's convenient because it keeps him local and involved with his family. There's a more than he would have been if it hadn't happened. And I think that's a domino that falls. But for me, the story was engaging enough. I didn't see it as like, Oh, well that's convenient. The only reason that happened is because he needs to stay around and stay local with his family. And, but like, again, didn't bother me, but I can, I can see that Chris and like, Oh, well that's just convenient. I don't see what it well, had to do it was with anything, but it, it was necessary to keep him in the story. Well, I mean, but you already had a subplot, a, a rationale for why he would need to be staying there in the story, dealing with his mother. I mean, that had did, not, that didn't I, have to happen. Not if his know. sister. Yeah. I, I, I can't, mm-hmm. his sister dies. I'll just right. throw that out there. She's taking, the she's taking day. care of the mother. Right. If she continues to stay alive, she will continue taking care of the mother. He'll dance back off to his school, which is not in the same town, not in the same area. So the only reason he comes there was because he has a book conference. The conference finishes. He goes back. The story's done. Yeah. So you could write it off. Well, as a plot contract, it's but more I, the disagree. question. It's more the issue of her dying. It's like that to me was the point where it's it was a like, catalyst. 
to keep him local. Paul Bell, there could have been so many other catalysts that could have been done without relying on that extreme sense of drama to build in there, which again, I didn't understand at the end of the day what that mattered to the story, what that mattered to anything. I mean, if it's the, forcing if, him to have to become not aloof because he is, he is the, the son of the family that went off and kind of became aloof. Whereas the daughter, the sister stayed local and kept engaged with her mother and yeah. And his brother mm. for other reasons distanced himself, which I will not get into those because I feel like mm. those also play. So again, a lot of family drama stuff that I guess if it's seems contrived or seems unimportant, I could see how that could derail your appreciation of the right. film. Right. And it, yeah. and it, and Easily. it did. Honestly, but it didn't I felt like it was, it was, it was drama added for the sake of drama, which again, I felt like was very contrary to the message of the film that I really liked out of this, which is don't feel the need to make art easy and simple and digestible to a mass audience, which I felt like, it did at times. So, and I again, see, I think that's a point of the film that I actually think is valid. I don't think that's the point it's making at all. Okay. I think it's actually saying, and I, this, I'll quote one of my favorite authors, um, Stephen King. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't write gourmet meals. I write a Big Mac. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's mm-hmm. a place for everything. And so this, I think, and I think that's kind of the confrontation without getting into details that he has with Issa Rae's character. It's kind of like, she's like, I don't think you have a problem with, I, I think you have a problem with the audiences are receiving it. And that's kind of a you problem. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what it, there there's room in arts and entertainment for as long as it's not harmful. And her point is, I don't think it is harmful. I'm creating well, that's true. So it's, but the, the, but the book Muck wrote in this whole deal, the whole, you know, kind of the, the joke of the whole thing was not a book he wanted to write. It was not the kind of art he wanted to create. So it's, yes, I think it, it's doing both messages. I totally get it. I mean, yes, it is saying that, yes, Monk is, is flawed in his thinking because he is also thinking he's above it all. And that anybody who writes or, or creates art at this level is bad. And that's not right. That's a, that's a, that's a flawed way of thinking. I get that as well. But the character of Monk, I mean, he, he, he has art he wants to create at the level he wants to create it. And it's being mislabeled. It's being misjudged. It's not being appreciated. It's not being filed in the right section of the bookstore, all of those things, because, right. you know, because he's not pandering because he's not doing that. So it's like, I don't know. I, I, I and those are, le- those are legitimate. Those are legitimate concerns mm-hmm. that he has, but he has to make the thing. What do I want to do? How do I want to, how do I want to use my gift? He's obviously a talented writer mm-hmm. um, because he has books. He is published, mm-hmm. but when he panders, he gets this book that's extremely successful. So it's a choice that he's making. Do I want, and the choice that Issa Rae's character, Centara says like, you know, I chose, I'm giving the market what it wants. What's wrong with that? Yeah. If I want to make a living. And I think that's there again, that's one of the things that there's, and I, I can see arguments both ways. So mm-hmm. I thought it was, I think it's fascinating, but um, yes. yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I think fascinating is a good word for it. I just, Yes, I wish I, the, I wish the film I wish the film had relished in the fascination of that topic more than it did. I don't think it yeah. having watched it twice, I don't mm-hmm. think it could without being heavy-handed, and that's what I appreciated about the film was that I didn't feel like it was heavy-handed. I thought it was crafted in a way that it could introduce issues, have people think about it, but it's not going to turn people off by beating you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. Something that's really funny it's kind of <laughs> proving the point about Monk and the whole like uh, selling out and characterizing things. He gets, I'll just say, and they, they mm. mention this, I think in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling it. I won't mention specifics, but he's having a conference call after his book has been sold mm-hmm. and he is unhappy that it, and in disbelief. Cause it's like, why did this sell when some of my other ideas for books yeah. haven't? And he knows why, but he, and he's really irritated by it. So he tries to basically, screw everything up because he's just so like I'm above this. So he decides to change the title to the four letter word Mm -hmm. that starts with an F. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I thought that was one of the funniest. Oh, absolutely. And when I saw it again, like I laughed again because he's just so like, I'm going to screw it. And his agent is freaking out. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't care. And what happens? 
but the other side, the publishers just like eat it up. And I can see how that's frustrating. <laughs> no, I, I just, I, so. I, and you know, and I, I don't want to keep going back and forth on this. So you, you and I had different viewpoints on the film. They're totally cool. I think they're all valid. Um, <laughs> the examples you're giving of the scenes and moments that work for you. That's what I loved about this film. Those are the parts of the film that worked and, and were so great. So again, I, I just, I wish you were more cohesive in, in how it chose to relish in that is my, my takeaway. But yes, I completely agree. I think all the scenes you're talking about in that, that level of that, that moment, that phone call, that conference call was great because that's exactly what I wanted out of this film. And I think the film wanted to give and what the ultimate messaging of the film, kind of the way we look at art and the way we describe it. It's just, again, I think it, it watered that down and, okay. and lost sight of it throughout. So, so yeah. I'll throw back a point there again. This is the ideal podcast review because we yes. are disagreeing about stuff. Yes. We still like like the film, but of different yes. degrees. And I'll give a defense. We're talking of, between liking and loving. So right, and I'll give here. a defense of something that because so far a lot of the defenses I've given have been of the side that you also liked. So yes. let me give a side of okay. the side that you did not like as much. Okay, and I'm not going to spoil things because even though I know some listeners say go ahead and spoil it, but I think we've given you enough that you can decide whether or not you want to mm-hmm. see the film. Um, in the family dynamic side, there is somebody that has, um, worked as a housekeeper with the family for a long time. Mm-hmm. And she actually gets a little bit of an arc, which I appreciated. And I really liked, which we could go into a whole other discussion about what it adds to the film. Which I think it adds a lot, but specifically it helps bring out what the meaning of family is. Mm-hmm. And she gets to say to there's a situation that happens towards the end of the film and it gets kind of complicated and people are, it's very awkward forcing some people to be together. And she says, you can't, imp- or she says, I think she says to, she says, you can't impose your family. Mm-hmm. And another comment that's made by somebody during that same time is it's always de- easier dealing with other people's family than your own. Mm-hmm. And those are both things that rang true. And I felt like that's what made that part of the film it was like, that's the payoff moment for all the family stuff is those two lines of dialogue. And that helped make it the perfect pairing with the other part of the film. That was the satires. It was just like, it's not as dynamic. It's kind of boiling underneath, not as in your face as some of the other stuff, but it, it made it an equal, equally satisfying part for me. So, and that's, yeah, it didn't have to do with the comedy side that had to do with the family drama, right. dramatic mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I'm glad you liked it. Um, I did, and don't get me wrong, I did like sure. it again. And I like I like more what it what it was trying to do than necessarily how it did it. If that makes gotcha. any sense, sure. Um, and again, I mean, I love the concept. I mean, uh, first 20, 30 minutes in this film, I'm just like, okay, I totally get where this film. I, I get the tone of this film. I I, I dig it. And it's just, it's just by the end, I just, I'm just like, okay, I don't, I don't understand why a third of this film existed oh. to, to tell the story that I really, I, I really think we wanted to see. So, um, and again, it's really odd how it's the same, same criticism I had with origin. And it's just, I guess this well, idea is that you, you have a film that's tackling something I think is important, you know? And I, whether you tackle it in a satirical way, whether you tackle it in a very uh, uh, upfront, direct way, or you have messages you want to share, and there's different ways to convey those messages. You can do it through satire, through humor, through through drama. But it just feels like with both of these films, there was just this need to say, well, we just don't want to get too too focused on on this. Let's add in this this other elements, and it's kind of left to us to figure out. I, do they belong? Do they, how does that correlate with everything else I'm seeing? Why, why are, why are those moments important to this story? And that, again, it's the same criticism I had with origin, which is kind of odd back to back films here. And I think uh, actually when we showed origin to our film society, somebody was walking out and I said, you know, this would make a perfect pairing with American fiction. Hmm. (laughs) Um, And it would be a crazy double feature, but there's Mm -hmm. elements in both I mean, just the mere fact that, like you're saying, there, there's the drama, drama piece and the reenactment piece, and in this you have the comedy piece and sure. the drama piece. And like, 
it's a writer I, and it's a writer kind of wrestling with yeah, the subject matter that they're dealing with. I think there's a lot there. While also dealing with family drama and situations right. and all that too. Yeah. And this one worked like gangbusters for me, whereas origin, not as much, but, and yeah, obviously origin has no comedic element. It's not well, trying to do that. I will so, say, yeah. I think this works on a balance and as a complete film, a little better than origin. If I look at them just as motion pictures made and cohesive stories that I'm looking for, I think what origin has to say is, you know, much, much more important. And I think the, the, the stories that they tell are very much more impactful where obviously American fiction, yes, has an important message to share an important story to tell, but it does it through a combination of drama and humor, you know? So yes, I, I feel like that other one, this one is a better complete picture, but I still feel like it's, I still feel like it's divided and I still feel like it's, uh, so Not you just so how yeah. excited are you for Plantation Annihilation? That's my question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good title. And I thought the ending of the film, and I, I will say, I will say, if I'm con- not condemning something, but if I was saying a concern I had about the film, but it was washed away, was actually I was concerned that the the dramatic parts of the film, the family parts of the film, as you get into the film, you're right it it does shift focus there. Mm-hmm. And in the final kind of moments of the film, it kind of shifts focus there more than I was wanting it to, I guess I was wanting it just to be mainly satirical. And I was worried that I was really going to think the ending was not great. And man, mm-hmm. the way they do the ending, I thought totally things were not everything. Some things were, but other things were not wrapped up cleanly relationship mm-hmm. wise. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was perfect. I just, I thought they freaking no, okay with that. nailed, nailed the ending. I, I, yes. Without I, I, spoiling I anything. And I'm not getting any deeper into it. I <laughs> sure. have mixed feelings on the ending. I do feel like I liked everything you just described about the ending. Uh, there are some other elements of the ending that did not work for me, but I, I can't, we are not going to get into it. I'll just say, I think overall compared to how it, this film could have ended, uh, I, prefer, I I like the way it ended better than what I was afraid was going to be the alternative. And I, I felt like okay. when I was watching it, yes. the typical Hollywood ending and how things were kind of winding down. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, yeah, you're right. oh, it, oh dear. It definitely, it <laughs> definitely it steered clear of that, which yeah. was good. And I appreciated that for sure. Um, yeah, real quick, we've talked so much about just the content of the film and, sure. and the story more than right. anything and all that. I, you know, acting wise, I think, I think it was all good performances. I, I, I think yeah, everybody I was great. Um, I'm not going to say it's the best role Jeffrey Wright's ever played. Oh man. No, um, I don't think it is. I, I, I just because he's, he's so good in so many things. No, but I think he is, I'm not saying it's the best thing he's ever done, but what gets me excited is it's one of the few roles where he is the, or few films. He is the main character. I don't think I've ever seen him as, the lead no. in a film that I can recall. I think he sure. has had some, some lead roles in some films over the years, but not one that I can recall offhand or one that I'm familiar with. So no, I was very happy to see him in a lead role. And I think he pulled it off fine. Um, oh yeah. Definitely. Again, I've, I've liked him in other roles better, but I think he carried as a lead role. He did great as a lead lead uh, in this film. Um, I liked his agent or I guess it's his ma- manager or something <laughs> like that. John yeah. Ortiz, I thought was yeah. really good. He was great. Arthur. Um, so yeah, and then uh, Eric Alexander as Coraline, somebody he he's love interest, really, love interest, yeah, sure. also very good. So I really like I liked a lot of the performance. You mentioned Sterling King Brown. Uh, I thought he was great. Okay, great. You not as much, huh? I mean, mm. um, he's fine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, the dismissive fun. Well, just I, I feel like I'm I I I feel like I'm bashing on this film more than it's really. It, it, then my opinion is warranted to do because it's, I, I did like this film, you know, it, it was, it, was it an Oscar not nominated supporting role for me? Uh, not really. I, I, I don't know. It, it, and my issues with it have to do with everything I talked about in the first part of review where it's just, I just didn't quite buy or understand the connectivity of some of these family dynamics to the larger story. So, that's where I'm just going to leave that. He was good. He was entertaining. He had some great lines. Wow. Um, a lot less in the film than I expected. It's a much smaller role than I expected. 
Yeah, and granted, I know it's a supporting role, but it's still, it was he was in it a lot less than I expected. Hmm, interesting. Um, so anyway, I I think acting is good all the way across. So um, yeah, and just to clear the air, I like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get, don't uh, get get your emails ready. Getting that out there, I like this movie. Um, I just uh, yeah. I, I'm starting to realize, I mean, how many of these episodes have we done? Oh, I don't even know. I have no idea. We lost count, and I don't even keep track. I, I do realize what it is. We started the podcast in 2011, so it's, yeah, it's been a while. I, I am realizing over the years that as I watch and review more and more films, I, I think the films that always let me down personally are ones where I feel like there's an opportunity to say, do, express, or, or, or go somewhere in the film. When a film, I don't feel like either, either it's either tiptoeing up to that level and, and doesn't have the confidence in itself to go deeper or feels the need to balance it out with something else that doesn't add up at the end. That That's where I'm kind of, and it's just interesting that the two films back to back these two weeks both kind of hit those notes for me and kind of really showed me what just doesn't work in a film for me, complete experience. So, hmm. um, interesting. Yeah. I'm looking for that. I'm, I, I look for that complete film where I feel like, okay, I understand why the elements are there. I understand why the characters are there. I understand the role everybody plays. I understand the development that the characters are going through. If there's parts of it, I don't feel like match or work or connect or drive anything by the end. It's like, Okay, well, you know, to go to a Chris Fry criticism, is it just a film to get it to an hour 50 minutes or could this have been a much shorter film and made the same point across? I don't know. You know, that's a that's a hypothetical question there, but that's kind of where I am with film criticism. Sorry. You know, my little soapbox no, a little bit here. So. It's, for me, you mentioned that, and I think people can probably guess from the way I entered the film, what derails films for me 99.9% of the time for me are those stupid expectations. Yep. That's that's what just killed. And it, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I try not to watch trailers, but I'm bound to watch them anyway, and sometimes I get really excited. And I never saw it, the trailer for this and, one. And I didn't either. Yeah. And so then my experience, and I knew nothing about them. I lived, the only thing I knew about it was Jeffrey Wright was the lead. And I was like, oh, cool. I'd like to see a movie where he gets to be the center. And then after I watched it, I was like, whoa. <laughs> so maybe so. subconsciously, you having put this in your top five, and even if I didn't like completely res- you know, recall and, and resonate, it was still bouncing around in my head. So as I start to watch this, I'm like, oh, people have this as their top five film of the year. So I'm well, and you've got all those Oscar nominations. Too. Well, yeah, I saw that. So, so yeah, I mean, I that's that just, well. yeah, okay. definitely there for you. I like this film. <laughs> okay. I wish I loved it, <laughs> but I like it. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. So Fair enough. I think that's where we wrap it up on this. Um, I will say first time director, uh, Cord, uh, Cord Jefferson. Mm-hmm. He's written a lot of great stuff. Actually, things I'm very familiar with his work on on the writing side. So his first time director, I mean, it's good. So he's 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 another uh, potential director for up and coming work. I'm excited to see him do some other things as we go forward. So, okay, all right. Well, that is American Fiction. As you kind of picked up, uh, it is playing in some theaters. I mean, I think it, you know, checking right now, it's in. Uh, Somewhat of it's not a super wide release, but I mean it is playing in some a variety of theaters. And I think, and they're probably you know, hey, it's a business, <laughs> so they're because I got the nominations, they're probably keeping it in theaters maybe a little bit longer than they would yeah. otherwise. I think it's an Amazon Prime. I think that's where it's going to eventually gonna land. Live, yeah, it's going to live it, on Amazon eventually. But and just, had it uh, not gotten the nominations, it may have already. It may be there, there already. But I think they're you know, understandably. No, it got to, a best picture nomination. Right. It got best supporting actor. Did it get anything for writing? Yeah, adapted okay, screenplay. Adapted screenplay because mm-hmm. it is based off of a book, correct? correct. Okay, yeah. So, all right. I, and I think, I think the screenplay, I, I think that's warranted. And yeah, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm fine. I'm happy with it being in the ten best picture nominations. I do think that that's. I, I'm happy with it being in that conversation because I think there's enough here to warrant that for that kind of level of respect for the film. So, gotcha. I'll leave it at that. Okay. But you're you're happy that it's not nominated for best director. <laughs> no, it's not even that because I mean I, the the direction was fine. No, it's not even the director. I okay. I, I, I I'm I'm I don't know where. Story. And there, yeah, it's it, you have a script, 
And then you have a way of telling that story in a film. You know, it's like you have story and script, and that's kind of two different elements. And it's like, that's where I think the disconnect was for me on this. So, hmm. anyway. All right. Well, okay. I think we've talked about American fiction enough. Yes. So that was actually probably a longer conversation than we I mean, to give a but film, since so. it was one of my top five, I feel like all those minutes were completely worth it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. I think you're right. I think you're right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're, uh, I'm going to dumb us down a little bit and talk about some. Uh, projects that maybe don't require as much thinking and dialogue or uh yeah we'll see we'll get into some uh we'll get into some interesting news here in just a moment and plus chris does have a recommendation of a film to share with us that we'll get to at the end of the show so stay tuned you're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv and we'll be right back this podcast is sponsored by jackson creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Uh, Alan Jackson, Chris Fry, back with you. Had our review of American fiction. A little longer discussion, which was good. It was a good discussion. Some some differing of opinions on the film. Overall, again, I'm just going on record. I like the film. <laughs> Chris loved the film. I like the film. Yeah. And I think that's uh, if that gives you enough information on whether or not you should check it out, then great. I think uh, I think I can definitely give it a recommendation. I just uh, yeah rewind if you need to hear my thoughts on it. I don't want to <laughs> go through this again. So, all right, Chris, I do want to share some news with you. Okay. Because I like to, I like to dig into the movie news. Sure, I'm trying my hardest not to watch trailers, so I'm not going to talk about any trailers. And we do it here on the show, and I like I it. It's just sometimes expensive. Well, it's just yeah. I, I will watch a trailer if I know it's a film that I have no mm-hmm. interest in seeing, and I just want to see how the trailer decides to depict it, or if I know that the trailer is a true teaser, meaning it's just it's going to give right. me just enough of a taste of the film to know the style tone content without giving me any plot points. I hate the trailers that give away the plot points yeah. and tell you the, the beats of the story. I think there should be a rule that trailers <laughs> should only be able to use footage from the first one third of a movie. You know, that's an interesting uh, rule to try to enforce. I thought there used, but then subsequently I think I've been told that this is not true. Mm-hmm. I thought there used to be a rule that anything shown in the trailer had to be in the movie. But I think that is not true. That's not a rule. And you know what happens is, you know, they cut trailers much earlier than when they released the film. So there may have been a scene in an earlier cut of the film that they then take out before the final release and all that. I don't know if it's ever been a rule. Maybe it has, but um regardless, I think it ought to be a look, we're not showing anything in the film or any dialogue or any scenes from the last two thirds of the film. Okay. Or maybe I, uh, go to half. Okay, if you got to go to half, go to half. <laughs> but definitely not the second half of the film. I would I would sign on to that. Yeah, because cool. if that was the case, it's like, great. I have no idea what to expect from the second half of this film. Okay. I may have seen two minutes worth of stuff from the first half. But I, don't, I can't see the second half. That to me is the way you handle a trailer. Okay. I wish that was I wish that was a rule, but that's not going to happen. So. <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, nothing I'm talking about has anything to do with trailers. Okay. So I don't know why I got onto that topic. But... Talking about movie news, there are a couple news announcements. One, I'm going to say it's a big news announcement, but it's big for people out there that eh, maybe a little bit like me that are maybe uh, a little disillusioned with how the comic book movies have gone in the last several years. Okay, Okay. I've said on the show before, I am a fan of the concept and some of the better well-made comic book movies that have been made in the last decade. Um, He's not talking about Aquaman, the lost kingdom or Madam web. No, no, I'm not. I, uh, I am a fan of the Marvel cinematic universe in the way that it was built and set up and the initial foundation of it. Uh, I like what DC has done in some of their properties when they allow uh, directors to kind of really be creative with the work and characters. So I cheer for the comic book movie culture. I I cheer. I I, I want good stuff from it. And this last year or two, I have been disappointed last couple of years, really with a lot of the stuff we've seen. Uh, I think the only film I can think of that really worked was Matt Reeves, the Batman Mm. from a few years ago. Okay. That was one that worked because 
it was a, a little bit of a unique take on the character. You gave, you had a director who really got to kind of explore the style he wanted to use and it worked great. I can't really think of any others that I would say that, wow, that, that film really worked. Uh, they've become very, to me, cardboard cut out. They become very predictable and they've, you know, just not engaging at all. So that's where I am with it. I know you are the same, if not more so because you, I think you, you started feeling that even earlier than I did in this whole wave of, of these comic book films. So, true, true. Know. And I think, unfortunately, and you know, I always couch things as saying, I know it's a business, and I am aware that it's a business. But in a way, I feel like what happened to the Star Wars universe, which, of course, I grew up as a kid, mm. loved, adored. They made newer movies. I you know, loved those. And then I feel like it kind of went off the rails. Yes, agreed. And but I understand it's like they're trying to make money. Something's making money. Go for it. I feel like DC and Marvel kind of, you know, it's like, oh, and then the quality quantity goes up and quality goes down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, unfortunately, that's that's what happened. It's not surprising because you want to strike while the iron's hot, get the money while you can. But unfortunately, things suffer. And none more, I you know, tossed off the comment, neither you nor I have seen the latest Aquaman film mm-hmm. or Madam Web. And unfortunately, I, because of, you know, reviews and things I've heard, I don't really have plans to. No, um, I don't either. So it's just, it's liking comic books like you do, like I do. Um, it's a shame. It is a shame. So that's why all that preamble leads <laughs> sure. to this news where I I am grasping onto a glimmer of hope. Good. Good. Okay. Uh, I have been saying on this show for a while that I thought that whatever Marvel does, Mm-hmm. with the Fantastic Four property okay. could be the thing that... The thing. I see what uh, you did there. I, yeah, I didn't mean to, but that was great <laughs> that I did that. Uh, could be that thing that really pulls us all back in and, okay. and gives us something good and engaging and fun to watch. And, and, and there have been other Fantastic Four films. There have, but they were not under the Marvel... Cinematic umbrella. umbrella. They right. were, they were, I forget who, who, who made those films. It was Fox. Maybe, maybe made those. Anyway, they were not, they were not guided by, I think people who really loved the property and really knew what to do with it. Okay. So my hopes are this will be because this week we finally got an actual announcement of the cast of Marvel's the fantastic four. Okay. This is a film that is slated to come out. Um, May 20, or I'm sorry, July, 2025, which is a a little, almost a year and a half from now. Okay. Okay. So it'll be a summer release, big summer Mm -hmm. temple release. That's right. Okay. And this will be a big movie or at least from a Marvel perspective. Now, whether or not it makes money or not, we'll see, (laughs) but there's a lot of anticipation for this. I mean, if, you know, for anybody who knows the comic book world, I mean, Marvel comics started with the fantastic four. That was the first true modern day Marvel comics uh, characters that were created. So it predated um, Spider-Man. It did. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of considered the first family of, okay. Of the, of the Marvel universe. So no it's kind there. of a surprise that they haven't been around sooner in the movies, like the Marvel movies until now. But again, there were rights issues. I think sure. you know, they were owned property by the other studios. And now that Marvel has the rights to use them now, they, they've made this movie. So they've announced the actors for the uh, the four leads. Obviously, there's four people. It's Fantastic Four. That's the way <laughs> gotcha. it works. Um, and it's the four that I think were rumored a few months ago. And we talked about, I may have even mentioned as a rumor, these four people as okay. actors. But it is actually these four. Um, so Pedro Pascal will be the lead as Mr. Fantastic, kind okay. of the leader of the team. Uh, again, I'm giving all this background for anybody who doesn't know the characters. He's <laughs> the one that can do all the sure. stretching and the... Stretch his body out in all different ways. Gotcha. Uh, then we have Vanessa Kirby as Sue Storm, uh, I, a.k.a. the Invisible Woman. She's the one that can turn invisible. Gotcha. If you got that sense. from the name. Yep. The name makes sense. Yeah. Uh, then we have Joseph Quinn as Johnny Storm. Now, what what would I know him for? Um, the other two I'm He's done familiar. a lot of work, but probably most notable is um, he played Eddie, the uh, hard rock guy on Stranger Things. Okay, yes. The I little metalhead guy. Yep, got yep. you. Check. That is Joseph Quinn. Okay. But he's been in a lot of other things, okay. but that's probably where he had the most visibility. Uh, he is the Human Torch, which okay. is the guy that can turn into a and fire. And I can see him having a very outsized personality. And Johnny Storm, if they play these characters to the type of the books, it's it's he's a very brash, a younger guy that's a kind of, a quote, hothead is kind of the idea. Yeah. <laughs> sure. 
And then you have uh, Eben Moss uh, Barak. I always have a tough time with his last name. Bachrock. Moss Bachrock. Eben Moss Bachrock as okay. Ben Grimm. Eben Moss Bachrock, uh, most people would know him from the TV show The Bear. Okay. He is a uh, cousin. Uh, what is his um, What is his name? Richie. Richie. Yeah, Richie on oh, The yeah. Bear. Okay. He's also been on, um, let's see, what else has he been on? Um, I know he's done some other things too, but that's that's the thing I think most people, again, right now know him from. Uh, so anyway, that's the four. That is the Fantastic Four. Now here's, casting is fine, but do here's- we, Do we know a director yet? We do. Okay. It is, uh, and I think this is also in line with what I might have mentioned before, Matt Shackman. Who did uh, WandaVision? He did. Uh, he was okay. the kind of a, a showrunner on that show. Okay. Which I thought WandaVision was really good. Yeah. Um, as a TV show. Uh, so he will be directing Fantastic Four, screenplay by Josh Friedman, Jeff Kaplan, and Ian Springer. Um, here's what I'm excited about, Chris. Uh, the casting sounds great, but they put out a poster or a little teaser poster to promote this announcement of the cast. Okay. And it is a hand-drawn picture of the four actors in their roles okay. in a living room. Um, <laughs> okay. It was released on Valentine's Day, which was uh, two days ago. So that was, was you know, kind of appropriate they made that casting call because this is a family film. It's about a, you know, the, the two leads do eventually in the comics marry and kind of form a family. So, you know, I get it. Okay. But the drawing in this picture is very much set in the 1960s. Hmm. So automatically I'm thinking, okay, they're going to do a 60s vibe Fantastic Four, which is great because that's when the Fantastic Four premiered as a comic group back in 1963, I believe. There's a picture on the wall of an astronaut. Like, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know which astronaut. Oh, no, the astronaut is, um, it is the character playing the thing. So in in the story, they are four astronauts. They go up in space. That's what gives them they their They get powers. cosmic rays inundated in their bodies to come back. The one of them is an astronaut himself, and that is the, the Ben Grimm. And he turns into the thing. So now there's a picture on the wall in this drawing of the actor playing Ben Grimm dressed as an astronaut. Gotcha. And the furniture is all very uh, 60s vibe to it. So I'm hmm. like, okay, if that's where they're going with this, a period piece at that time, I'm down with that because that just works. <laughs> Now, they will obviously, because this is Marvel and Marvel has to have everybody be able to cross over with one another. Mm. Obviously, there will be some sort of time travel element at some point in the future for these characters because they have to bring them to modern day and have them fight alongside Spider-Man and Captain America, whatever else. But if this film can be that period piece adventure film with these four characters, I'm totally down with that. I'm very excited about that. Okay. Anyway, that's where we are with the Fantastic Four. July 25th, 2025 is the date. Okay. Color me hopeful. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. want this to work. I really want this to be good. I need some, some something to rejuvenate our uh, <laughs> my 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 love for this this universe. And uh because this year we only have one film coming out from Marvel, and that is Deadpool versus Wolverine. Right. Which is gonna be coming out. It's got summer. a Super Bowl trailer. It did get a Teaser Super Bowl trailer, spot. Yeah. And uh that is it. That is, I mean, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. They kind of are laying low for a little bit <laughs> and like restarting a lot of stuff back next year. So sure. we'll see what happens with that. Okay. okay. So that's, that's, that's my comic book nerd news item for you. Okay. The other news item I have for you, Chris, is, uh, well, I think it's very interesting. Uh, so the Bee Gees, you're familiar with them? Yes. Singing group. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is it Australia or New Zealand? Oh, I don't know. I need a biopic. <laughs> I know. Uh, wouldn't Yes. You have questions about the Bee Gees. I, I know of them. I know their music, but I cannot remember off the top of we my head. We want to know more about the yeah. Bee Gees. So that's where a biopic satisfies that need. Very good go. segue there. Well, <laughs> guess what, Chris? They are working on a biopic of the Bee Gees. Okay. Now, this has actually been something in discussion for a really long time. Like. Okay. Years. Okay. They've been talking about this. There have been now at this point, one, two, three, at least three different directors attached to it that have all left the project. So that, that's crazy because I wouldn't think there are 
legal reasons why they could like you know you get something that's like well we couldn't do the project because it keeps being held up like pink floyd Mm -hmm. at some point i hope i get a biopic of them because i love the band but like i can imagine because the band themselves fight all the time where like that's the reason but like bg's why has it been taken especially with the success of like rocket man for elton john and Mm -hmm. bohemian rhapsody for queen like what what gives yeah why why wouldn't you do this i don't know that's a good question well so this film initially was, uh, or I, I don't know if he was the first one, but the one that got some news behind him, Kenneth Branagh was initially tapped to direct okay. this film for Paramount in 2021. He directed stepped a away. Of, directed a lot of films. Um, He's made a lot of films. I, I, has he ever done a biopic? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I wonder if like so. him stepping away, maybe it's because he's doing the whole Agatha Christie murder. Yeah, maybe he's too into those movies. Is he really going to do another one of those? I mean, I don't know. it's been, each one has like <laughs> sure. not done very well. Sure. It box off, it's dropped off. So I don't know what he's planning to do, but okay. he is no longer attached to the project. Okay. The one I thought was a perfect fit for this uh, in March, 2022, John Carney stepped in as director. And now John Carney, okay. Uh, once uh, Sing Street, Begin Again. Flora and Son. Flora and Son. Now, here's the thing. I, I disliked Flora and Son considerably, but I have no doubt that John Carney knows how to work with music in a film. Right. So I'm like, oh, this that, makes perfect sense. That sounds like, yeah, that sounds Let like a him direct a biopic about, you know, a, a very influential band. That was a family, too, because I yeah. think that's also interesting. Yeah. John family Carney dynamics. does kind of work sure. with personal family dynamics pretty well. So I thought that was a perfect fit, but he departed due to quote scheduling conflicts. Okay. He was replaced by, uh, Lorraine Scarferia, who was the director of hustlers. Um, so I don't see, I mean, yeah, yeah, that doesn't seem to be as a match made in heaven as much as John Carney. Not as much, but again, uh, other than hustlers, I'm not really familiar with anything else she's done work wise. So I mean, that could be something that she could have excelled in. I don't know, but, but she's not involved anymore either. Wow. So instead of three strikes, you're out, they're still going to try to make this happen. Yeah. Okay. And this is the one that's of all the ones I just listed. This is the one I was like the least likely think that this would be a fit for. Okay. Right now, uh, Paramount is in talks with Ridley Scott to direct the Bee Gees film. That is weird. Yeah, yeah. So the script is being written by John Logan, who also co-wrote or was one of the writers on Gladiator back in 2000. Mm-hmm. So there's a little connection there, at least between you know Ridley Scott working with his his work and his writing. Right. Um, hmm. But yeah, that's, that's where the talks are right now. I, I just, I can't. I can't see it. I mean, you know, he's done House of Gucci. He did Napoleon. So maybe it's just from the pure biopic side, but I would think music. I don't think of him as a musical. No, like I don't, you know. I don't think of him as, as, right. as that side of it. it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just surprised. Yeah. House of Gucci might be the closest to a less consequential um, biopic in a way where, you know, it's, it's a, it's a family bio biography of a, a historical family and has period piece elements to it. And I, that, but I also didn't think that worked extremely well. I mean, I don't think it was a great film. So I don't know. That was just an interesting choice for me to hear. Yeah. But I mean, it could just be, it's looking for to do something very opposite from the films he's been doing lately. Cause of course he's got the new gladiator that's going to be right. coming out this next year. Right. Uh, gladiator sequel. And of course he just did Napoleon. So yeah, maybe this is a look. I'm gonna flip it and do something completely 180 from what I've been doing lately. And yeah. I don't know. I'm curious, but I'm. And we don't have any casting surprised. for that, I guess. No casting. Okay. No. Uh, right now, the uh, Barry Gibb, who's the last surviving brother of the Russell Crowe. So he didn't get to do Gladiator Two. Put him in the Bee Gees movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Singing, uh, which he can too. sing. But he's too old now. But yeah, yeah that'd be funny. I don't think it's going to work to him. But <laughs> Barry Gibb is the last surviving brother. He will executive okay. produce the film. Okay. So that also means that it's probably going to be pretty safe on the BGs. It's not going to be not going to dig too too deep into anything too too scandalous or or you know controversial. Sure. So. All right. Well, that's uh, yeah. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was a very very interesting announcement. You know, as far as on the biopic side, I, I know that the Bob Marley biopic is out right now. Yes. Not hearing great things about it right now, which I kind of picked up from the trailer. I just didn't think it looked that good, Hmm. but obviously I'm curious to see how that does. And I'm be curious to see it at some point, but 
Because I normally love my biopics of musicians. Music biopics, some of my favorite. Bohemian Rhapsody kind of hurt me a little bit because I just don't think that was a good one. Uh, Rocket Man I thought was great. And unfortunately, I don't think it got all the attention it needed afterwards. But um, (laughs) always anxious to see what what happens in the music biopic field. So Sure. Okay. So that's my news, Chris. Uh, Fantastic Four is being cast and the Bee Gees are getting a movie. Maybe by director Ridley Scott. So okay. uh, that wraps up our news. As always, we're not as always, but as commonly we like to do. Chris, you uh, you typically have recommendations of films that we ought to check out, something you want to share with the group. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay. What film do you have to recommend for us, our audience today? So I'm going to recommend a documentary from 2022. It actually won the Academy Award for the Oscars that were giving credit to films that, from that year. Uh, it's Navalny, and it's directed by Daniel Rower. And one of the reasons um, I'm recommending it, unfortunately, is I uh, just got news this morning on the way into work that uh, Navalny has died in prison. And if you're not familiar with who uh, Alexei Navalny is, he is the gentleman that was an opponent to Vladimir Putin. And in August of 2020, he was survived an assassination attempt when somebody tried to give him a lethal nerve agent that basically would have killed him. He has a month long recovery, which the film kind of follows him during this time. And he attempts to try to return to his normal life and try to return home back in Russia after he's recovered outside Russia from being dosed with this lethal nerve agent. So, um, and the film unfortunately ends up with him being put into prison in Russia. And that is where he has passed away. Mm. Um, but the film is just fascinating because it follows and it, you know, it's not a biopic. It is a documentary. So you see this guy, you, he does a lot of talking to the camera and he has other people around him. They'll interview and talk to but it's just, it is fascinating to see this person's real life and how he was trying to make a difference politically. Um, and it's just one of the most interesting parts is they, I'm not spoiling anything, but um, he is able to get on the phone and have phone conversations basically with the people who attempted to poison him. Mm. And that is just to have that happen and have it documented is just amazing. Um, So unfortunately, like I mentioned, uh, he's now passed away, but uh, it's an excellent documentary. It is streaming on HBO Max, or I guess it's just Max now, but it's streaming on Max. So you can find it there. But uh, if you're not familiar with him, uh, you can catch up on who he was by yeah. looking that documentary up on Max. Unfortunately, very timely recommendation, yeah. but um, uh, I think even more important now to make sure people have a chance to see it and see this story now more than ever. So uh, thanks for that. Thanks sure. for that recommendation. It's uh, that is definitely going. Did you mention that it won? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it did win yeah. for best documentary. Right. So, Okay, well, that is Chris's recommendation of the documentary Navalny, uh, and that was streaming on Max, Max, or HBO, HBO, Max, HBO, HBO, Max, right? HBO Max, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, that wraps up our show for today. We had our uh, spirited discussion on American fiction. We had news on the Fantastic Four film. We had news on the Bee Gees film. And we had the recommendation of the documentary Navalny all in this episode. Chris, if anybody has some thoughts, if they want to jump into our American fiction dialogue (laughs) and give their thoughts, I'd love to hear them. How can they go about uh, getting hold of us or talking with us? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. We're also on Twitter at Foot Candle Film, Facebook, Foot Candle Film Society, Instagram and threads. We're just simply Foot Candle Film. Al and I are also on Letterboxd. We try to track what we're seeing and leave quick takes sometimes. Do us a favor. If you like the show, consider giving us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on, because it'll help us reach new listeners, which we'd appreciate. And last but not least, I will mention the 2024 Foot Candle Film Festival, which is coming up way, way, way down the road in September 20th through the 28th. But uh, if you're going to be in Western North Carolina during that time, we'd like for you to join us. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to a good festival this year. Should be fun. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. See you in the ticket line.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.